JB Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 39 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about building infrastructure for the insurance industry one API at a time with Lo Hopley from Root. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into technology we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. As we record this, it is Friday, October the 30th. Ow! It's time for a little Halloween action. Got the decorations up. Got the kids decorated themselves. Ready for some candy palooza. I don't know what's going to be like, you know, COVID Halloween. I, I have no idea what this is going to look like, Rob, but uh, we're going to we're going to give it a shot, right? We're going to we're going to we're going to give it a shot, uh, you know. Everybody's already got masks on anyway, right? So we'll just roll with it, right? Yeah, it'd be very easy to like dress up as a you know burglar <laughs> or cowboy, right? <laughs> Whatever, that'd be real easy. Yeah, like we bring it on, right? Low. What 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 does does South Africa? Low's in Cape Town, South Africa. Low does does South Africa do Halloween? Is this a thing? Yeah, s- some of it. I also have no clue what's going to happen this year. People are claiming they're going to lock themselves in, but I'm sure some of them will sneak out. Get some sweets. Yeah, it's a mix. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be handing candy out. We, we're gonna, we're gonna do it distance. So we're gonna have the you know the bowls out in the front, and people can come and just take their candy and that kind of stuff. And so we're we're gonna have we're gonna have some fun. It'll 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 all be good. So with us today we have our esteemed guest. I'm so excited to have him, Lo Hopley from Root, live from Cape Town, South Africa. Again, he's a co-founder and CEO of Root. That's root.co.za. And we just want to deep dive before we before we talk to Lo. I just want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to the InsureTech Geek podcast if you're watching this on video on LinkedIn or on Facebook Live or on Twitter uh, Periscope Live. You can text Geek Out to six six eight six six and make sure you never miss an episode. We'll email you the show notes and the links and uh, articles, everything that we talk about. Right there, so just make sure you you text that now back to Low Hopley from Root Low again. Thank you for being on the show. I want to start out by talking about you, and then we'll talk about your company. Uh, you got a degree in electrical engineering from Stellenbosch University. What made you want to go into double E as a field of study, and then what led you into InsureTech? Yeah, that's a deep question. So it actually started quite a bit before. Before studying my electronic engineering degree, I started at a young age, somewhere in high school, building apps. That was roughly when the app store opened up, the iOS app store. So I got this knack to start realizing I can put apps out there that people can use. And it was quite interesting. So I started building anything I could find that might solve a problem out there. My first app was some mic recording thing where you plug your phone into the like audio, you, you plug your iPhone into like this audio speaker, any equipment like that, and it'll just act like a mic. Um, but from there, it's kind of like built up. And I got to, when I finished school, I got to the position of, do I go out there and build things? Or do I first go study and learn, like get to meet more people, network, and then learn more skills to build stuff at like a higher grade? And I was battling between building robotics versus building software versus like, where should I go? So electronic engineering with computer science was the middle way. Like you get a fair bit of electronic experience, a fair bit of robotics, but a deep dive into software itself and how that works. So that's essentially why I went to study, but it's always, always for me in a way, like a means to an end to obtain the skills so I can actually just build more things that help people out there. So that's, that's how I kind of, where I went to study, I've been building products and company like things attempting my hand at making money out of software since, since that young age. And insurance actually came much later. I had this, I've always had this thing, so I'll never go into banking on insurance. Like as an engineer, as a developer, I'll just never touch financial services. It's just like complex world. I don't want to go there. I want to build cool things that people actually understand and, and that's easy or easy to use. So, so actually what, what happened was I started building apps, iPhone apps like at scale, started building a company out that does that. And we, 
identified this nice arbitrage where like talent in South Africa, like the engineering talent is at pretty much the same grade of quality that you get in the States. And people who study computer science here or engineering here are like they just as skilled and competent as the people studying at some of the top tier universities in abroad. But what we can do from here is we can actually build apps and sell them into the like US market. So that's kind of where my first proper venture went. Started this app agency, started getting clients on board, um, started building them apps and whatnot. And, but very quickly realized that building consumer apps for someone else by the hour is not really a fun business to be in because you're just building someone else's dream, um, getting paid by the hour. And okay, you make a lot of money because of this arbitrage, but essentially you're not getting anywhere. You're not really adding much value to the, to the world other than just like your time. So that's kind of when I pivoted my thinking into, I actually need to be building a product or a platform or a solution or something that is like can't scale by itself and ultimately and ideally empower other people to add even more value such as you've got this exponential factor where if you're building something you can enable many more people to build things which adds a lot more value a lot more value to the world so that's that's kind of how it progressed i moved back to south africa after building this this company that i've scaled up it was based in new york and san francisco but i've lost most of my american accent now in the five years that i've been back in south africa now but met up with an old friend of mine who has been building startups in South Africa. So they've been building a few companies here, specifically in fintech, both in security and payments. Also, Luna, one of South Africa's, or one of the emerging markets' biggest crypto exchanges that just exited as well. And we kind of started, got talking into like, what problem is there to solve? Like, what problem can I tackle that I can like take on of the skill and experience I've got now that will actually make this world better? And we kind of, because of this deep financial experience that he's got, and all this insights already had massive partnerships with banks and insurance companies because of all these other companies. That was just the clear thing. So we just thought, cool, software is eating the world. Developers are building the future. And this industry is like really borked. Like I didn't want to go there as a developer because it was scary. So can I not fix that? Can I not make it better and easier for other developers to go in there and to, to kind of enable them to do things? That's essentially how I got into insurance. Not because I'm interested in insurance or now I am completely interested because it's like a really complex industry that I think can be solved or so many things can be solved in there, but essentially it came down to like making this more accessible to other people. And that's how I got into insurance. Mm. I don't want to go too deep into the company now, but yeah, that's roughly my history. Yeah. You bring up an interesting comment and that is about talent. And certainly I feel the same way. There's, there's a lot of really amazing engineering talent all over the world, all over the world. And you don't have to be in Silicon Valley to get access to it. You know, I, I, I have an office in South Africa and and one in uh, in Argentina and you know, two in Argentina and, and and really really enjoy working in those countries. Really enjoy the talent and the people. And you know, I've I've continually been amazed and pleasantly surprised at the quality of talent we've been able to recruit in places of the world that let's just say many Americans said I would not be able to find great talent. There were, there were many people who told me I would not be able to have really high quality sales and marketing people selling into the U S market from that weren't from there. And and they were wrong. It, we, we've, we have just absolutely amazing people that help us with that. Same thing with engineering and design. We have U S staff and we love them and they do, they do a great job at what their job is, but you know, they, it is truly a global market for labor now in every way, shape and form. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that, that you've, you've found that and, I would I would love to let Rob kind of deep dive now that you've kind of told us about yourself and how you got into this. Let let Rob deep dive on root. Rob? Yeah, thanks James and you're you're right actually uh, some of the folks I've met from South Africa both on the insurer side and the insure tech side it, I think it kind of is under the radar, right? It's a bit of a hidden gem out there that a lot of people don't know about the the thriving community in South Africa. It's maybe not as big as some other parts, but a lot of passion and a lot of great innovation that's going on. So well, I, I, so tell us about Root. And I have to be clear. So this is the week that Root as the auto insurer here in the United States had their big IPO. So we're going to talk about that in our news section later. Uh, but we are talking about a different Root, just to uh, clarify for all of our uh, watchers and listeners. So how did you come up with a name? What does Root do? Kind of tell us about your company. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with the name just to clarify that part. Yeah, it is a, it is a bit of a tri tricky challenge that we are um, facing so root the name actually started from the it's the technical term so if you're on your computer and you're like on your command line busy editing like you get root access like your pseudo access which means you get admin privilege to the machine and that's kind of what 
how we got to the name of the companies you we're giving people developers like this admin access to the core to the crux of this insurance industry which is a bit different to the root insurance that just ipo or planning the ipo is like the whole their name is around route like traffic roads essentially so a bit of a different take same name so we'll figure that one out over the next while but yeah so, so what what root is what we're doing is it's a like what we're building is essentially like a low code in, like an end-to-end insurance platform that enables innovators these developers that i've been talking about to build sell and then manage their insurance products um out there so so we package all the complexities of insurance so the insurance value chain all the all the parts you need from premium collection all the way through to claims management and like pretty much administration everything that you find in the value chain we package that and have a very sleek easy to use api on top of that and with that we enable companies especially large enterprises um, companies that already have customers or large customer bases that are um, not insurance companies themselves we we essentially enable them to become insurance companies so we enable them to sell very customer centric products that are actually tailored for the consumer in the market, as opposed to these general one size fits all type of products that are out there. So our view is essentially that that you'll the, the world will shift quite a lot from just being incumbent insurers that are powering insurance to actually these big brands that already have customer affinity and customer relationships offering insurance and being able to enhance their experience and tie them in with subscription products and stuff like that. But ultimately, we're building the infrastructure. So we see it as like we're building the tools that are powering the future of insurance. That's really fascinating, Lo. And how did you guys come up with this concept? Or what was it where you saw that this was a, an opportunity just because it has been kind of a stagnant market that's been dominated by yeah. insurers that have been around for decades and not centuries? Uh, is this something that you you heard? Kind of tell us, how did you decide upon this opportunity? What was the, the market opening you saw? So, so we actually... We didn't see it as clearly as, hey, there's a problem. Let's target that specific problem. We kind of had it as this is a very monolithic environment that is very hard for, for innovators to kind of like participate in this ecosystem. So that was like a most, like a high level thesis. And I mean, to go practical on that, it's not it's very hard. So what we were lucky to have was a one of the large insurers in South Africa. So insurance, uh, South Africa has a very mature insurance market. The regulatory system is very mature, very advanced. And one of the insurers in South Africa that are their own majority of the market where they power other brands to sell insurance, their name is Godrisk. And we essentially built a strong relationship with them early on in our company's life, almost when we were like call it customer discovery or actually like market discovery to some extent. And we took this, like I used to call it, or like to call it like the first principles approach to understanding insurance. So this was me, an engineer, no insurance experience other than like that odd policy I've got, short-term policy or whatnot. I don't really know how stuff works. I know the basic mechanics. I don't really know what actuaries do. No, times have changed now, but back then. And we kind of went into, Godress gave us this like access to the market, to their market, to their client base. So they power like by far the majority of these other, like these are retailers and banks and other organizations selling insurance in the country. And we could deep dive to understand exactly what are these companies doing? How does it work practically? Like who's answering the phone when you're phoning on your policy? Like where do you issue the policy? Where does my money go when I'm paying my premium? And whose bank account does it land? Who's the actuary that prices this product? What do they do when they price it? What do they, like where does their pricing model go? What happens if they want to update their pricing model? What happens with all these premiums? Who pays the claim? All, all, that, all those questions we could kind of explore and try and understand and we've actually had access the privilege to have access to all this information in production so we could just go in and interrogate people on the ground in call centers in in the operations teams everything just to learn as much as possible so that was our first principles approach to just try and understand as much as possible of what on earth is insurance actually and to try and identify what actually matters versus what are all the things that people kind of claim matters so if you walk into insurance companies, everybody has ideas and opinions on how stuff should work. But my view on that is that it's, it's problematic in the sense that it's because of everybody in insurance that insurance is looking the way it is. It's kind of the machine has got all this momentum. It's just moving in the same direction. So our view was something's wrong. We need to take a different approach to this. So anyway, so we, we spent that time, learned a lot. And then we actually took a, with this thesis of enabling innovators or developers, we, we approached, uh, we tried to then launch a short-term device cover insurance product. We cr- chose a very crappy name put together a, a very crappy logo just so the insurer thought it was real. And then we tried to push it through all their processes to kind of launch this new, call it innovative startup that actually just sold a very boring device cover product. 
And we went through all their compliance processes. They tuned us on all the things and all our process and everything. That was actually purely just to learn what does it take for any other startup to launch. And honestly, it's very painful. Like I would just advise almost any any person who takes on that journey to brace for it because it's it's not an easy one if you want to launch a, a new product. If you're looking at lemonade in these companies, like kudos for them for pushing through. And so we launched that, or, or didn't we went for all the processes to launch that? But actually, what we did whilst building out this very basic device cover product was building out the platform that can power this product and building out essentially an API layer. So always have this thing of like your front end is split from your back end. You've got an API that sits on your, like your, your, your API powers everything. And then your front end is just a very thin middle layer. Because ideally in the future, our clients need to build their own front ends and their own customer engagement interfaces and whatnot. And that's the journey. So we iterated rapidly on a weekly basis for three years. And with all that incremental improvement and changes and learnings we added to the platform, that's kind of how we built to what we, where we are now. With that being said, and all that like exploring all these customers and companies is, is, is also was, was essentially finding that common denominator across how insurance products work. And also the common denominator around like, what do people actually want to do in insurance that they currently can't? Um, and a lot of those learnings are built into and packaged into how the platform today works. Which, may, which is like positioned around making it easier to launch products, but it's essentially easier to launch the type of products that people actually want in the industry, as opposed to just the existing products that you see on the shelf today. So let's get a little more specific. Your target customer, is it a mainline, mainstay insurance carrier who's looking to have a, a digital direct-to-consumer offering? They're, they're kind of trapped in their existing walls of working through broker channels and, uh, and and offering their traditional projects through traditional distribution. And you're there to enable them to still carry the risk, right? So they're still going to carry the paper, but you're going to enable them to write, bind, manage claims, et cetera. And so you're, you're, you're enabling these existing companies to make the digital transformation by outsourcing. You're almost like middleware for them to get out to direct to consumer. That That is true, but our... Our go-to market strategy is actually more focused around the companies that are not insurance companies and that we typically partner with insurance companies. But the reason I'm saying that is true is insurance companies are literally running into that problem. They, they're tied to their broker networks. Like 98% of their products are still sold through these legacy channels, whether it's a call center doing outbound sales or it's brokers on the ground or third-party um, intermediaries selling their products. So they are stuck in that world. And what we found is our mission is actually to help these other large organizations. But with that, we're actually just helping the large insurers as well. So in South Africa, we're powering quite a few retailers, which are these companies selling anything from a T-shirt or clothing all the way through to kitchenware and homeware. But we're actually also powering quite a few insurance companies and their digital arms where they or divisions that are now pushing hard to deploy new interesting products to market when they're going direct to consumer. So that's, that's if you, like essentially it's also not completely tied to just direct consumer can also tie to sell it through the other channels that you want. But that's the primary focus is building the products that are quite interesting and, and, and dynamic in a way that, that your consumers would want, whether that's embedding it into like their workflows or if you're a retailer, embedding it into your online experience, your e-commerce experience, or whether you're, if you're a car dealership, embedding it into your, your whole maintenance process and everything like that. So it is, it is quite full gamut. We also have clients that are small startups that have been struggling just to get to market because they realize for them, they've got some insight. Sometimes they've got a partnership with someone of great distribution and they've got this some actuaries coming from a big insurance company and they want to launch a new interesting product to market um, that caters for a very specific need. But for them to do that, they need to either find a system that cannot, like no system out there would cater for their product. The nuances to, in it is too bespoke and they need to find an insurer that they can partner with and then they need to solve all the other processes. So what we do is we've got quite a few insurers now that we are partnered with that we connect them to that they then work with to price the products, put it onto route onto the platform, and then they can get to market a lot faster. So I used to use this analogy of this 80-20 rule. So in like the current market, people are spending maybe 80% of their mind share on keeping the lights on and solving the existing problems that they have in their like just to get to market and 20% on the actual consumer and customer and the product they're giving to the customer we're flipping that around. So we're allowing them to actually not spend 80% of their time on their customer and how they get to their customer and how they package their product and the other 20% on all the other complexities. Yeah. yeah. So, that, so who's the, that makes sense. yeah. So who's the existing, you don't have to give us, you know, specific customers, but who's already buying this from you and what are they doing with it? I, I, I understand you're, you're giving me the big picture. Let's get nitty gritty. Like who's, 
Who's actually spending money with you and, and how are they deploying it? Cool. So I'll give you a few examples that are interesting. So we've got from our enterprise clients, we've got someone like Mr. Price, who's a national retailer in South Africa. They've got everything from clothing stores to also homeware and a bunch of other things. And they're quite a big lifestyle brand and pretty much everybody here in this, like on this, in this country knows them quite well. And they sell a whole broad range of products. So they essentially started with credit, giving store credit to customers, which they within due to regulations and encourage or, or like forced essentially to sell credit life insurance, which is tied to the store credit. So if you swipe your store card in the branch, there's just insurance tied to that. And then very quickly learned that they can start selling a whole range of other products. They've got their like financial service provider license, they partnered with an insurer. So they sell now, like I think they're selling a range of about 11 or 12 products to their customers that include that running on route. So that's, that includes term life cover, the credit life cover, accident cover, hospital cash cover, device cover, multiple uh, versions of device cover, some upfront, some not, and they can now collect the money in the stores versus in their credit system versus bank collections. So, so that's not an example of an enterprise client. The products they are selling are what I find interesting is because they already have this customer rela- relationship there, the, the customer is already walking the store to buy a t-shirt as an example. They don't need to spend much on marketing or any of that other distribution cost that an insurance company needs to spend. So their insurance products are a lot less loaded. So they can offer the same cover, whether it's what funeral cover, which is big in South Africa or this life cover. They can sell it for a lot less than what the typical insurer can because they don't have to load it with all that commission and, and marketing expenses that, that pretty much anybody else need to do. They don't have to pay a broker on the front, the 20% commission to get this product sold. So that's, that's the one example. Another example is a company, it's actually a subsidiary of our, of this guard risk partner of ours, CarSure, and they sell a very simplistic product, which is actually super useful. It's called CarSure. And what that does is if you are traveling and you get to the airport and you rent a car, let's say you go to Avis, for example, and you're renting a car, then there's always this excess amount that you're liable for. And that might be the first, um, let's say $200 or so that if you get into any accident, you're liable for that. And they provide an insurance that covers that excess amount. So it's used to, like the way they used to sell this product is for a call center. So when you rent a car from Avis, they would literally phone you and say, hey, you've just rented a car. Like, would you be keen to buy this cover? And, and if you say yes, then you'd need to read your credit card number over the phone, which is a bit odd in South Africa. It's like not a normal thing to do. But when they moved their product over to Root and configured it and set it up, they could change some of the rules and they could make it the, so that customers could buy it online on a website which they could deploy very quickly. And while they, whilst they were running this, we had someone who played with WhatsApp bots. They just played with Twilio's APIs and it was quite cool to see how you can like build a bot quite easily these days. And someone just prodded them and went, hey, why don't you just, you've got this product, your product has an API in front of it now. Why don't you just embed that into a WhatsApp bot? And that was from idea, from this first idea to being live in the market with a WhatsApp bot selling this insurance cover. And that was two weeks. So it was like record-breaking time. And then after that launch, we realized it's the only WhatsApp bot selling insurance in South Africa that's actually automated, that doesn't go to some agent and takes 24 hours to complete. Like it's real time right there. Um, so that's another example of like rapid innovation that, that kind of gets unlocked when you've got your product on a platform like this with an API that powers it. And there's a few other examples like that. But that's just to give you an idea. So it's, it's innovation both on the product and the product complexity, but it's also innovation on just how you reach your customers and how you make it easier for them to buy and to find your product. Well, yeah, and there's, there's, there's like some, sometimes there's implicit trust depending on the channel that you're actually having them sign up through, right? They don't like people calling them and asking for a credit card number, but they're okay with a WhatsApp bot asking. I mean, you know, it's, it's wild, but they're yeah. like, well, this is normal and this feels normal and this feels trusted and... You know, they're, they're, look, there are a lot of scam artists out there. I mean, my gosh, there's there's a, a plethora of scam artists. So you, have to do, you do have to be careful. But, you know, it's fascinating. Who's the paper behind all this product? When, when you have someone like Mr. Price come in and they're they're offering all this insurance, who's who's actually carrying all the risk? So, so that would be that would be someone like Godrisk, the insurance company. So they essentially white label their license, if I can call it that. They're essentially like a, an analog platform to some extent. Very, very good at powering other companies to sell insurance, but just from the compliance and, and regulatory and actuarial point of view. There's, there are a few others as well that are running on our platform. So what is how that would work is Mr. Price would be selling those products. The policy wording would have a big Mr. Price logo on it. But in the fine script, you'll just read the underwritten by guard risk clause and claims will be handled by Mr. Price. 
but ultimately the risk sits with, with guard risk. Now, what, what is interesting in South Africa, though, is this model called a self-captive insurance model. And what that means is essentially you could, when you're renting their license, you could take part in the risk yourself. So it's almost like a profit share agreement that you have, but just to a much larger extent. So these companies can actually be acting like insurance companies to a large extent. They put in their own capital. So guard risk underwrites the risk. You see their name on the policy wording at the bottom, but behind guard risk, um, someone like a Mr. Price could still be playing there or any of the other players that they, the clients that they have. So this, this literally enables someone, a big company, to almost act like an insurance company end to end, even risk included. But that's not the only clients we deal with. That's just a, a good example here in South Africa. There's also some of the other large insurers that are just purely writing their own products, pushing their own products on their own brand. And then there's no weird nuance to that. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, certainly a lot of lines are being blurred right now about who is an insurance company and who's selling it and who's taking the risk. And then who's the who's the middleware on technology between the people that are buying, people who are offloading risk and people who are buying risk, right? You, you, it's it, the lines are getting fuzzier for sure for me, Rob. Yeah, no, I I think it's uh, fascinating, right? There's this kind of disintermediation, and and you're chopping up all different parts of the value chain, and then you know depending on what parts they want to play or not play, right? You can kind of fill in the gap. So I know you know one of the things that you talked about on your LinkedIn page is, you know, the the compliance requirements, regulatory requirements, reporting requirements. You guys are are cloud based, so you don't have to have any you know on prem installation, so that you could stand up pretty quickly. So maybe you can just kind of for our listeners, like what things does Root do, and what things do you not do? Like they would have to to arrange on their own, just so people kind of have a cl- some clarity on if they were thinking about partnering with you. What are the the products and services you offer? What would you take potentially take care of, or what would they have to? Uh, what gaps would they have to fill on their own? Cool. So. What, what we do, we are like a pure technology player. And what we do about technology is we embed or integrate third-party services across the industry that matter. So whether it's someone that does premium collection, got quite a few, call it payments processors, plugged into the platform already, a few insurers that are now power, like running powered by the platform. So what we bring to the table is essentially that interconnectedness of all these services. So if, you're, if you want to launch a product, let's say you're a big brand out there and you want to launch a new product, we essentially help you solve all the dots that are missing. So you come with the idea, but you might also come with the pricing. But if you don't come with the pricing, we'll connect you with the right people who can help you with that, whether that's the insurance company or a reinsurance partner that we have, or just an outsourced actuarial consultancy. So then what happens is you, you build that product onto Root, we help you with that. And once that product is on the platform, we also take make sure that the platform's reporting requirements to the insurance company behind it are there. So we plug into the insurance company's data warehousing or the underwriters data warehousing. We plug into their claims operations teams where that's needed. If a reinsurer is involved, we plug into the reinsurer's claims operations as well. So if you've got big claims that need to be paid out and that can escalate en route directly to the, to the reinsurer, they can actually process it on reinsur- uh, route directly. So the only thing you really need to bring to the table is ideally customers that you can sell to because else the insurance companies aren't really interested to play. Sometimes they would, but I think they've burnt their fingers quite a lot generally what we see across the market. So, so access to, to distribution to customers and ability to kind of, I guess it speaks to access, but the ability to serve those customers to build that front end or to build that go to market strategy. I think that's the, that's truly the only things you need if you want to be using root. So from a regulatory point of view, we, in our early experiments and, and exploration, we actually went down the path of, fully taking on the regulatory risk as well. We got a like our own financial service provider license. We thought we can power brands to just start selling um, without being regulated. And I think we could probably legally pull it off, but from a business risk and just maintenance point of view, it's just not worth our while. So we actually pulled back on that and decided if you're selling and you need to be a financial service provider, you're ultimately dealing with the customers and the consumers on the ground. So you need to be like there's regulations for that for a reason. And the insurer has their bespoke compliance requirements. So what we do is we familiarize with that and we package it. So it's super easy for you to get used to it and to build your products and your customer experiences compliantly. But we can't ultimately take responsibility for that. 
because either yourself or the insurer is is, is there or like all the regulated parties involved. But we tr- do try to break down the barriers to get out to market. And a lot of that like just manifests literally in like cheat sheets and stuff on how to, if you're building a product, here's a cheat sheet on all the stuff you should cater for. And as soon as we learn something's not correct, we add it to the list and we evolve the list. Yeah, I love the fact that, you know, anybody that has access to customers is looking for a way to improve that customer experience or have a deeper relationship. Uh, with them and they think an insurance offering might be something that their customers would value and provide they can partner with you right in kind of in consultation you can kind of figure out the rest is what i'm hearing is that is that accurate yeah that that's pretty accurate and what we are finding is also it's it's very like the market is very heterogeneous is the word i tend to use but it's essentially that everybody comes with their own expertise or parts so someone might pitch up and say they've got pricing and they've got a payment provider just very random. So you say, okay, cool. Or they come with pricing and they don't have a payment provider and they've got claims processing capability. And then we say, cool, let's connect you to an insurer and here's Stripe. They can do proce- uh, cards, credit card processing, for example. So we, we're not opinionated really on what the what building blocks you should be using, but we make sure we've got an inventory of building blocks available for you to use almost like out the box as far as we can help. Yeah. Super helpful. Yeah. Very insightful. James. All right. So let's talk about the difference between the U.S. and South Africa. And then I want to talk about what's next. <clears throat> what's the difference? Because you, you, you've you operated in both. What's the difference in trying to execute the model you're trying to execute in the South Africa or the United States? Cool. So so I haven't executed or, or done insurance in the United States. Um, just full disclaimer there. But I have spent quite a lot of time on like trying to understand what on earth is going on there. And the biggest learning I've got so far is that it's like every state is essentially its own country <laughs> when, you're, when you're talking jurisdiction <laughs> or regulations. Um, yes, it is. So the Un- United States is a bit like from our point of view, like maybe a messy or a complex thing. The, the nice thing, however, of the way we've like the way we are now today in our like operation is that we're actually outside of that regulation layer, like I just mentioned now. So we could actually operate across the states. The only real regulations applying are um, essentially like around data compliance. But that's just, you know, be building any SaaS software and you're going to be regulated on that front. So, so far, that's our experience. I do think the United States market has quite a lot of opportunity there. Um, I think also because it's scattered like that, you have a lot of inefficiency in the system. And the inefficiency is where we play. It's like automating and optimizing stuff and making it more streamlined. So yeah, so I think there's a lot of opportunity there. It's just about finding the right partners who we can partner with and help and enable on that side. Yeah, the, the so, United... South Africa, yeah. sorry, just to add, I don't think the actual regulations is that different in, in, as a whole. Like the market is very s- similar on a lot of fronts. But the US is a market of 50 markets. Right. Yes. I mean, it's, uh, it's also it, it's it's also a massive market. If you look at like total premium groceries and premium in the in the in the states versus like rest of the world, it's gigantic. Yeah, I mean, the state of Texas alone has a one point six trillion dollar GDP, and then you look at how much insurance they buy, and it just this state, you know, just just Texas, California, and New York. If you just only go in three states, then you're going to dwarf most of Europe. Yeah, so it's pretty wild, but the the regulatory picture is confusing at best. I would say it can be quite the hurdle for many companies to get past. Yeah. All right, so what what does the future look like for you? What what I mean cuz I I'm a, I'm a software guy. You're a software guy. I've been writing software since 1991, written a lot of code in my day. What technologically speaking are you doing better or different? And how and how and what and what what does the future look like for your technology? So, yeah, that's a good question. And I also wish I've been writing more code recently, but that comes with building a company, you build less code. So what, what we're doing differently to pretty much most companies I've seen out there, there's a lot of companies popping up now doing like enabling companies to sell insurance or making it easier like across the world. Like there's a few in the, in the US, a few in, the, in Europe as well. But the one thing that we do differently that our tech enables to be differently is that we, we're not opinionated on how the products should look or work. So our platform, for example, is not tied to short-term or long-term insurance. A lot of these platforms, are, they can only do long-term insurance or they can only do short-term insurance. It's actually, it's agnostic to that. And also it's agnostic to how you structure your products. So the, the layman way I explain this to people often is like insurance products are almost like a database table. You've got, or, or like a, a Google uh, Excel table, you've got these columns and the software says these columns need to exist. So you need to build whatever product you're selling needs to fit into those columns. Like you need those fields captured. However, the way root works is 
if I can go a bit technical on this, it's unstructured. So you can store any data on a policy. It's not limited to certain ways that benefits need to work or certain nesting of benefits on the on the product. So if you want to build a product with 50 benefits that are leveled or tiered like 10 levels deep, you can totally do that. The platform will allow you to do that. And if you want your product to have benefits that can turn on and off at any point in time and be tied to the person driving their car and the weather, like the platform can speak out and, and do that as well. So we've got this little low code coding environment that fires code on like many hooks in the policy's lifecycle. And you can use that to build in pretty much any insurance product that you can imagine. And, and we've done that exercise to like that thought experiment of playing with like what are the most innovative insurance products in the, in the world and like can they run on route? And so far we've been able to like replicate all of them. The reason I'm saying this is that is what the platform allows you to do. It, it, it kind of does not limit you from deploying your like what you think is an innovative solution to the market. And that's what we try and enable is, in, is, is not constraining it too much. That being said, everything else needs to be standardized. So we kind of limit everybody on everything else so that, that they've got nice guide rails to innovate within because also just the open canvas becomes too wide open and ultimately limits people. So, so what is next with that is I think we're doing some pretty great stuff in South Africa. For us, it's like a little Petri dish. Like we've, I think we've <laughs> proved the model here. It's now a matter of scaling the team, scaling execution of like our the amount of clients we're launching and of the enterprises in South Africa, it's pretty great, like pretty great companies out there. But I think if we just keep on doing what you're doing, we're on a pretty great traje trajectory to just kind of become dominant in this market. But South Africa is a very small market. It's like, I think Germany is bigger than South Africa and like insurance GWP. So that's not to say the entire Europe is like much, much bigger. So for us, the next step now is, is twofold. One is like scale up South Africa, like scale up our team. But then use that base and use that arbitrage, like I mentioned earlier, the talent arbitrage to kind of deploy into Europe and to go like help companies in Europe launch. So our mission now is, is and we're reaching that, this is our, our next, early next year plan is to actually go plant our flag on that side is to kind of find partners there, find reinsurance partners or software development partners. And those are typically the companies that we partner with a lot. These dev, dev agencies that are building solutions for companies that when they need an insurance platform, we, we like become the preferred one. And we're looking for those type of companies to work with to help them also solve their customer needs. So that's that's pretty much what's next. That's awesome. In yeah. the like short to medium term. Yeah, exactly. And who knows who knows three or four years from now. But I mean, you have to. It's hard. It's hard to peer around the corner sometimes, technologically speaking, longer than a few years because of how fast. I mean, when I started writing yeah. code, we we only had a new software version of programming languages once every three or four years because they had to go through the book publishing cycle, and and now. Now we've got new frameworks of technology every 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 few weeks. You know, Docker's revisioning every few weeks, and Kubernetes, yeah. Kubernetes is revisioning, Azure is revisioning, .NET is uh, structured, unstructured data sources. They're all they're all moving very quickly, which makes it uh, a challenge to keep up with. But it also means that you know, a few years from now, you could be your your platform could be sitting on fundamentally different architecture. And, and I'll tell you what, if you would have said to somebody. A few years ago, that we're gonna we're gonna destructure all the all the data storage for insurance policies. They would have they would have uh, flipped their lid and started talking about first, second, and third form no normalization of SQL data structures. And and you're and you're, and you're like, no, 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 no. We just need to we just need to store this in unstructured so it can be flexible and move quickly. <laughs> and of course, now yeah. un unstructured data storage is a much more common is a much more commonly accepted thing at at the enterprise level. It's exciting. Rob, bring us home. Wrap us up. Yeah, so I, I'm just really excited about what you guys are, are doing at Root. And there's a lot of companies out there, to your point, low that may have an interest in being an insurance company, but they don't want to have to build their own policy admin system, right, or claim system and set up their payments provider. Like, that's the reason that there's been that kind of barrier to entry. And you guys really kind of help folks overcome that. And I think Europe is a great place to start. Obviously, a lot of strong reinsurers there. And so I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I just kind of wish you the the best of luck. And how can folks uh, find you if they're interested in learning more and exploring possible partnerships with Root? Thanks. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, they can find us on our website, root.co.za. You can contact us there. You can also just email me directly, low, that is L-O-U-W at root.co.za. We're, like I mentioned, well, I didn't go into detail on this, but our, a big part of our model is, is just building great partnerships with companies out there across the value chain, across the value system, actually. So if anybody's in that space, especially in Europe for now, like I'd be really interested to talk just to learn um, from you and to see if there's any opportunities to work together or to, to like evolve and advance insurance in that space. Fantastic. 
So James, uh, you want to talk a little bit of news this week? Yeah, I'd love to hear you. You've brought some really good stories. Let's start out. Let's start out talking about the other route. What, what you got, Rob? Yeah. So as I mentioned, obviously we're we're thrilled to have Low on talking about Root, but uh, there's that small other company called Root Insurance that uh, does auto insurance, a lot of telematics that listed their IPO this week and raised $724 million. And uh, I've got just the, the story about that. And then there's also another story from TechCrunch that talks about three lessons from Root's IPO pricing. So uh, if you are in the insure tech space, if you are a, a, a founder or an investor and kind of looking about insure techs, I think this is a great article. And basically, insurance is still hot. And that's kind of the, the bottom line. And I think there used to be some thought that you know you really had to be in the tech space and, and you didn't want to be a carrier. You didn't want to carry the risk. Those were going to get you know really poor valuations. But as we've seen with Lemonade and now with Root, now that's not necessarily the case. So not sure this is going to continue but uh a lot of people have been uh, you know old man you know yelling on lawn about some of these insure tech valuations <laughs> and uh, they continue to be strong and then the other thing and i think this actually ties with our conversation with low this week is tesla as you all know has become an insurance company this year and uh, elon musk said in a recently quarterly earnings call that he thinks insurance could take up a big portion of the car business and kind of estimated you know possibly 30 to 40 percent so do a quick back of the uh, napkin math, 30% of a current market cap of $391 billion for Tesla. That would actually easily uh, be larger than uh, State Farm's market cap, which is only $42 billion. So just kind of a, a yes. fascinating thing to, to think about. Yeah, well, let's, let's deal with one at a time. R- Roots IPO, uh, while, while they're, they're getting decent prices, this is not exactly stock you want to buy. And I, I want to point out, for those of you who who are are retail investors or you have to wait until it IPOs to buy it, you might want to hold off on buying stock as these things IPO. Root is down, Root is down sixteen percent since IPO. So just just keep in mind that they'll they they hit these pretty big bumps, and then remember that you can either do a direct listing or you can get underwritten, and and there's a lot of things that. Now, it, it raised a ton of money, but if you bought it right at IPO, right now, you're sitting down 16%. And so just be careful with buying IPO stock because uh, you know some people who have really low basis in the 2 or 3 or $4 a share range did really well, but they did really well on your back if you bought it on, on IPO because it, it, it took a hit pretty quickly. And, so, and just a friendly reminder on Lemonade, again, they raised a lot of money. But they're sitting at $49 a share right now. And their peak at IPO, remember they IPO'd over at 81. They peaked at 84 and they're at 49. So they're just be be careful with IPO investing in a in a big way because it's it can be a scary dark world if you put uh a hundred or two hundred thousand or a million dollars in on an IPO and uh, you lose a uh, hundred and sixty or two hundred or two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in the first uh, few days. Now, those are uncomfortable uh, joyrides unless you're just a steel-stomached long-term investor. So be careful on these IPOs. And it also shows you that, that this market's going to be highly analytical on these when it comes to them posting financial results. So, uh, so anyway, it's great for them. It's great that they're able to IPO. It's great that they get underwritten. It's great that they raise a lot of money. If you yourself are looking to invest, this is, I almost, I feel like a, like a regulatory warning label, like just be cautious because your investment may lose value, in particular on IPOs. The the other one on Tesla, and, and this is so interesting. I was looking at Volvo's car subscription model the other day because they've been doing a lot of ads on Facebook and Twitter, and and I saw like you know subscribe to your Volvo. I was like, I got to check this out, and they're bundling insurance in right, and they they're partnering for that insurance bundle, but. You've got to think that they're going to see the amount of money that's going to flow through their company, and they're just making a little referral hit, and they're going to go, oh, no, 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 (laughs) no, 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 no. If cars really do go subscription, where you just subscribe to a car, and the insurance is bundled, which is entirely possible because that model's being floated and experimented by major auto manufacturers, there's a chance that the auto companies become the biggest insurers on the planet, and that's really where they make their real money. I mean, to the extent that they might even start discounting their cars more because that's where they make their money. And uh, I tell you what, the other, the other one that Tesla's really messing at your your fellow. It's, it's hard to call him a South African because he's actually a Canadian, 
who was raised in South Africa and then went to the United States to to you know finish school and run his business. So I don't know if I just call him a ca, ca South Africa made American. I, I I don't know. I I don't know what to call him. But Elon Musk, everybody's favorite South African, is doing amazing things where he's trying to really tie insurance and auto manufacturing and then ultimately rideshare because he said rideshare is part of this into one company. Lo, you guys got to be proud of your man, Mr. Musk. Definitely are. We're claiming him. Yeah, you're claiming him. You're not going to let Canada claim him. You're not going to let the United States claim him. Because, I mean, he's he's disrupting the entire space industry. It's almost like his ancillary businesses are bigger than the primary businesses, Lo. I mean, Starlink just launched another whole bevy of satellites. They're launching 40,000 satellites, and he announced pricing this week at $99 a month for up to 100 megs down anywhere in the world. They're going to start with Canada and the U- and northern U.S., but then they're going global quickly. And, and so it almost is like, I've got this company that launches rockets, but the real value is over here in Starlink. I've got this company that manufactures cars, but the real value is going to be in auto insurance. Right, Lo? I mean, this is a, that's like the big trick here, isn't it? I, I think all of the value is in, like, it's going to shift to being embedded. That's our view in insurance as well. Like, insurance will become a big embedded play. Everywhere. Not just in auto insurance and pretty much all other industries that you're looking at. Yeah, well, it's just a matter of time. Insurance and financing, right? Financing has... Yeah, essentially, has, yeah, essentially the whole fintech suite. Um, yeah, yeah. Financing, credit, all the things that you're looking at. Yeah, which means they'll probably get into payments eventually too. I mean, why not, right? Yeah, if you pull an Apple and start a bank and like launch a card and yeah. sit on everybody's money. Yeah, I mean, Apple, Apple partnered with Goldman Sachs, but why wouldn't Apple just buy Goldman at some level, right? Like they... You almost think that Apple should just buy Goldman and then go buy an insurer and, uh, and then be done with it. And then Apple and Tesla should merge into the world's largest consumer product company ever created. But whatever. I mean, what do I know? Rob, what else you got this week? Just uh, a fourth quarter, man. Going into November, it's really hard to, to believe that 2020 <laughs> is almost here. By the time folks listen to this, the U.S. election will be over. I don't know if we'll know who the winner is. Or We're not, not going to know. Yeah. We're not going to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, just hang in there, everyone. Appreciate everyone listening. And uh, we're we're staggering to the finish line of 2020. Yeah, it's like that picture with the cat that's hanging on to the deal and it says, hang in there, you know? I feel like that's what it is for 2020. It's a, it's a weird year. What, uh, now, South Africans had some, some, nutty, some nutty quarantine procedures about, like, you couldn't even, for a while, you couldn't even go on a walk. Yeah, it, it, was, it was fun. It felt like prison. But like like solitary confinement vibes, where you in your in your house. I can't remember. You had you're allowed to only leave your house between nine no between six a.m. and nine a.m. in the morning or something, which is quite ridiculous. And then you could only do essential stuff. You could go to the shops uh, to the, like the the grocery shop to buy food. You had to stand in your queue with your mask on, which I guess is pretty much normal across the world at this stage. And for the last twelve months, yeah, it was quite rough. Then they like banned alcohol. That they did from the start they actually brought that back and then there's constantly this alcohol scare of like hey the liquor shops are going to close are going to stop again then everybody rushes to the stores like empties out every single liquor store in the country and then they don't close down and then like two weeks later they'd like re-implement the ban and then it is a mess and like everybody complains but i think that the country is pretty is handling it pretty well because we're something that's for me different than the states is people are kind of lenient on the law generally so if you're walking across a road it's fine in the States, someone will stop you if you walk across the road. They're like literally put their hand in front of you and say, like, whoa, whoa, there's a road. You're not at the like zebra stripes or whatever you call it to, to cross the road. And South Africa is like, meh, there's, there's laws. We're not allowed to do these things. Let's just phone the wine farmer and go buy wine directly there and like hide it in the booth or something. Yeah. Not that I did any of that at all. Obviously, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting deal. They actually did ban alcohol. That was the that was the one I did not understand. We We... We closed bars here down, but we didn't ban the sale of alcohol. In fact, in Texas, low just to show you how different the response was, in Texas, they opened up and allowed all restaurants to deliver drinks. So we you, before, you couldn't do that. You couldn't do drink delivery. And then the governor said, this is so popular, we're going to probably make it permanent that restaurants can sell their margaritas through delivery services. So the the sale and delivery of alcohol went through the roof, and they actually loosened all the restrictions on alcohol sales because they closed all the bars. And uh, and so, that, but I heard about that. Like it was such a strange w- thing to close. The the, in, the interesting effect of that was actually very positive. I think might be a contrarian view in this country, but the hospital 
capacity or what did you call it? Like essentially the hospitals emptied out overnight. So the amount of like people landing up in hospital due to alcohol and like drinking and consumption, overconsumption was so intense that when they started the ban, it's as if the hospitals just got empty instantly. Yeah. And that's obviously great for COVID when you're like having ICU bed count problems and stuff like that. So, so ultimately it was all, it was actually to like lower the strain on the medical system. Yeah, I heard that was one of the reasons I, that we, was given. Yeah, well, it was true. Like my, my family's in medicine and I like, we actually saw the numbers. It was quite ridiculous. So in my back of my head, I'm going like, maybe they should just like continue this to some extent. Ah, uh, yeah. We tried going dry as a country here in the United States in the, in the twenties. It did not yeah. go well. It did not go well. Yeah. Illegal alcohol Moonshine. sales went through the, yeah, yeah. it just, it, it just didn't go well, but it's been interesting. Did y'all have a toilet paper run in South Africa? Yeah, totally, totally. Like totally. when I got to the store, the toilet paper was out. So I bought these paper towels, the ones you keep in your kitchen. Yeah. So I stocked up on that, bought like 10 packs. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, that is the most bizarre aspect of the human psyche that no one on any pandemic plan could have possibly predicted is that toilet paper would be the number one shortage item. And on that note, we're going to wrap up this show. <laughs> it, it's been great talking with you. I certainly enjoyed our conversation. And I, I'm excited about the future of Root. Uh, that's root.co.za to go check them out. Named after the Root commands. And as a, as a former Linux uh, sysadmin, I appreciate you giving reference to Root Access. So uh, super excited to have you on. And thanks for joining the show today. Cool. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for your time. Yes. And Mr. Galbraith, most interesting man in insurance. No speaking engagements coming up or do you have anything coming up where people can find you uh, online? Any, any webinars, virtual engagements? What's what's going on? Yeah. So I've got a couple. I've got the Underwriting Innovation USA event by Intelligent Insurer. I'm the chairman of day one. Uh, so it's a three-day event, November 10th through 12th. So check that out. And then also at the Reuters events, Future of Insurance USA, which is November 16th through 18th, I will be on a panel on the 17th. So check those out. Awesome. All right. And thanks for joining us today. And thank you out there to everyone for joining us today for the InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge, jbknowledge.com. It's all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com. Co-host Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, Kira Dalton, our creative producer, and Adele Waldeck, our transcriptionist. And thank you for joining us today. I look forward to talking with you soon. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out.